0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinogo. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hey friends, welcome back to our study of 1 Peter. Uh, this midweek class that we have for you is meant to be a resource uh, that is an encouragement that also supplements our weekend services uh, as we walk through this particular time. You know, it's been funny as I've read this letter. Peter is writing to a people who are in exile. He he wants to be with them, but they can't be together. And it's reminded me of our situation as well. Um, I would love to be in this classroom with you during this season. But I'm also encouraged that through this avenue we can spend time together studying this particular text. My hope is is that, as we looked at last week, um, you can have some reminders that are encouragements to you, uh, that, that Peter intended to be encouragements for these churches spread out uh, throughout ancient Turkey. Uh, Peter reminded us last week that um, we can, in the midst of this fog that we find ourselves in, these uncertain times, that we can find certainty in who God is, and in our history, we can find certainty. And we can also look ahead to our hope and we can find certainty there as well. So I know that it's been kind of cliche for us to say that these are uncertain times or unprecedented times. But the reality is, is God's people are always living in moments where they need reminders. They need reminders of who he is. They need reminders of him. They need reminders of their history. Where do they come from? They need reminders of their hope. Where are they going? And they need reminders of their identity. Who are they right now? So last week, that was our encouragement, to read this letter, looking for those principles, those four, and again, it may be a little cheesy, those four words that start with the letter H. Him, who is God, we discover that he's in control, that he is loving, he's merciful. Uh, The the second word is the word history. Who are we? We are those who have been redeemed. We've been ransomed. We've been forgiven. We've been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. Uh, The third word, hope. What is it we look forward to? We look forward to an inheritance that will never spoil or fade. We, we look forward to heaven and dwelling with him. We look forward to salvation. And this fourth word that we'll talk about today is this word holiness. This is a word that, uh, as we study today, should define us as God's people because it is an attribute of God. And so as we talk about this theme today, what we want to discover is that for Peter, this was highly important for these people because they found themselves in a strange situation in a strange land. Peter calls them exiles. They have a history. They have an inheritance that has a history. So they know who they are and who their father is. That's in the past. They know where they're going. They're going to this promised land. But how should they live right now? There's really some temptations as they live as exiles in a strange land. They could compromise. They can forget their history. They can forget their identity. So for Peter, these orienting principles are, are very important for them. And this call to holiness is a call for them to look like God and to be his people in a place that is not that I know that uh, this is true for me that sometimes when we say the word "holiness," we have some preconceived ideas that come to mind. But holiness as a theme is not something we intrinsically are, but it 's something that God attributes to us. In fact, I find this encouraging as we study the theme of holiness throughout the Bible. God uses ordinary things and makes them holy because he 's the one who uses them, and they take on his quality or his characteristic. Here's an example an ordinary plot of ground around a bush. Moses approaches and God says, Moses, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Well, what was holy about the dirt there or even the bush that was there? Well, nothing intrinsically. It was just the fact that God had chosen to use that particular place, that particular plot of ground. And because God was there and because God was using it, it was made holy. Notice similar to our text today. We look back to him and we look back to his history of how he's used ordinary things. We look ahead to the hope, but we become holy because of who he is. We could say the same thing about the tabernacle, the tent that God dwelt in. Was it the goatskin canopies or was it the wood or maybe it was the gold? Surely it was the jewels and the gold. No, those are ordinary when it comes to the temporary nature of this world. Peter's going to talk about silver and gold being temporary. They were ordinary. What made the tabernacle holy? It was the fact that God was there and God chose to use that place to manifest his presence. Even Peter would agree when it comes to Jesus using him. We have these pictures of Peter uh, that are somewhat iconic and and picture him with halos around his head. But remember when, when Peter first encountered Jesus and saw Jesus for who he was? That miraculous catch of fish? Peter said what to Jesus? He fell on his knees and he said, get away from me. I am a sinful man. I am unholy. I am unclean. Peter knew this same tension that you and I have with this word. When it comes to this theme of holiness and the call for us to be holy is that intrinsically that is not what we are. We are ordinary. We are unclean. We are broken. We are sinful. But holiness in the Bible is not about who we intrinsically are. It's about who God is and the fact that he decides and he chooses to use us in his own way. And that is what makes us holy. So the churches, this is true of them as well. It's true of us. We want to notice this in this text. We're gonna to study today chapter one of First Peter, verses 13 all the way through chapter two. And we're gonna stop in two verse three, but this theme of holiness goes all the way to two verse 12. And it really answers this question. Here's this big question that I think it answers. Why should we be holy? Why should we be holy? It answers the identity question of who we are as exiles and and why should we live different than everyone else around us? And Peter gives, I think, two answers. Here's the first answer we'll deal with today. In chapter 1, verse 13 through 2, 3, Peter says, We should be holy because we have been reborn as his children. So notice the metaphor there is that of a child or that of children. We're going to talk about obedience as children, but also the, the theme of rebirth or, or being born of a different lineage, having a different father. So we are holy because we want to look like the father or we look like the father. Now, maybe you have some of those like crazy ants on Facebook that every time someone posts a picture, they say, hey, he looks like cousin Eddie. He looks like, I don't always see the resemblance, but, but that's somewhat of what Peter's getting at here is that if you have oriented yourself and your identity around him and your history and your hope, you should start to reflect some of the characteristics of God as your father. Notice again, it's not about intrinsically who you are. It's about the fact of who he is and that you are now adopting those characteristics. You're now inheriting those characteristics from your father. So why should we be holy? Number one, we'll talk about today, because we have been reborn. We are being recreated as his children. Number two, we'll deal with next week. And I think Paul, or Peter, deals with this in chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. Peter here says that we should be holy because we embody his presence as a living temple in the world. Peter says, you're like living stones. Now, that's a weird image, stones that are alive. But these stones are fitted together, as Mark Christian mentioned in his sermon this last week. They're fitted together, and God, as the master builder, as the architect, he he gives them their characteristic as he builds this structure. And notice again, the stones are ordinary, like children. They take on the characteristics of the parent. The stones take on the characteristics of the builder, of the architect, and, and he builds them into this presence that manifests his glory in the world. We will discover more about that next week. But these two reasons, these two ordinary metaphors, children and stones. At children, Peter starts out in verse 13, and he says, therefore, because of this hope we have, because of who he is and because of the history we have, we get ready for action. In fact, the, the metaphor there in verse 13 is uh, that of someone who has a robe on which they would have been wearing, uh, and they pick up the front of that so that they can run, so that they can work, so that they can go to fight, go to battle. So Peter says, okay, this hope we have is not one that just kind of sits idly by, it gets to work. It makes an impact on our daily life and our daily interactions. Prepare your minds for actions, be sober-minded, have a clear head in this, and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought about to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this transition verse here reminds us we have a hope, we have a history, and and we look to him. And and now he says, okay, so what do you do? You change your identity. You, You strive toward looking more like him in holiness. So verse 14 is where we start. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, I want to notice a few things in verse 14. First of all, this word obedience, as in obedient children. Uh, This word obedience comes from the word to hear or to listen. In fact, what you discovered is that this word obedience um, took place up above in chapter 1, verse 1, as we obey Christ. It's to listen. Some of you have kids, and you've said, are you listening to me? And, And you know this as parents, or even as children who have parents who are telling you this. When they say that, when parents say, are you listening to me? They're not asking, did you audibly hear my voice and process it through your brain? What they're asking is this, did you listen to me? But then put that listening into your heart and then act upon it. Remember what Peter says, prepare your minds for action. Get ready to go. Get ready to act because of who God is. So this metaphor of a child or an obedient child is one who has listened to what God has said, but it has now taken to the take it is now taken to the place where it's transforming their behavior. They are listening to God and obeying Him. Obedient children. Notice that we also have this word conformed here. As obedient children, do not be conformed. We get our word schematic from this word conformed. Uh, this is also used in Romans chapter 12. In view of God's mercies, do not be conformed, but be transformed. So this conformed word is interesting because Peter's going to bring up two family dynamics. We have the family of God, him, but we also have the family of our inheritance, uh, the family of our ancestry. Um, Peter is going to talk about this ignorance that we have of our former life, these passions and desires. And all of these things are things that come from our former life outside of God. So the schematic, the conformed question is this. Which schema, which pattern are you going to live in obedience to? Which pattern are you going to look like? As as people look to you as a child, which family are you going to look like? Your former family or this family that is the family of God? Verse 15 encourages us to look like God. Notice what he says. But as he who called you, there's our history. God called us. We, We didn't deserve it. But he called us, as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. That word conduct, Peter loves this word, by the way. He uses it more than all of the rest of the New Testament in his letters. But it's just talking about how we live our ordinary lives. Because God is holy, and because we are his children, and we want to be like him, and we trust him, and we believe that he is good, we want to listen to him we start to take on his characteristics. We start to look like our father. And Peter says, because he is holy, this holiness should transform how you live in your ordinary life. Now, I want you to see what Peter's doing in the structure of his letter because after he moves on from chapter two, verse 12, he's gonna talk through different categories of family life, of social life. He's gonna talk about how a family interacts with those in authority over them, how a family interacts with one another, husbands and wives and slaves and masters how a family, as in the church, elders, and those who are members, interact with one another. Because of our identity as God's children, it transforms our daily conduct and the schema or, or the, the, the way that we live out these everyday moments of life. So we're not conformed any longer to these previous desires, but instead, we start to mimic who God is. Now my fear is in being a father is this, is that sometimes my kids do mimic me. In fact, the other day I sat down with my oldest daughter and asked her, hey, what are some characteristics? I'm studying this letter, First Peter. We're talking about uh, mimicking God and taking on his characteristics and his qualities of holiness. What are some characteristics of your father um, that you want to mimic in your own life in the future? Of course, she had some nice things to say and it, was, you know, it warmed my heart to hear some things that I had not heard that she noticed and appreciated. But then I needed to turn the question around. And I needed to ask her, so what are some things that you don't want to mimic about your father, uh, your earthly father? And of course, there are some brutal answers there as well. Well, Peter mentions these two backgrounds. And to be honest, as I've studied this text, I've felt the tension between these two backgrounds. I can live according to the holiness and the characteristics of God who is good and I trust him. But sometimes I find myself conforming to some of the patterns. And sorry, mom and dad, the patterns of my own family. Or just the patterns of this broken human family that we are a part of. And so I I get the tension when we say, be holy because he is holy. And you're going, I'm not holy. I understand that brokenness. Peter understood that same brokenness. And he, he reminds us of our identity, that we have been chosen that we have been redeemed, that we have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus, and that as children who trust their father, we should listen to him because we know that he is good in obedience. Sometimes we struggle with obedience, don't we, just like children. Why does God want us to obey? Is he just a dictator? Does he just want us to do everything his way? No, what we find in the Bible is that this obedience, we even see it later on, the same word obedience God wants us to obey because it brings about love in our relationships with one another and love in our relationship with him. Isn't that what a good parent wants? The ultimately obedience helps bring wisdom to their children, helps bring health and vitality to their children, helps bring love to the relationships between those children and their siblings, it brings love into relationship between the child and the parent or the child and those around them. You see, God is that kind of a father. Where we, when we listen to him and we obey him, it's with his same motivation of love and concern for us that we can trust in that obedience. So we, as his children, we look to the Father and we desire to be like him in holiness. Verse 17, Peter goes on and says, And if you call on him as father... So notice we're calling on him by this this identity. That's the him who is God. We've been walking through this text looking for that. If you call on him who is father, he is the one who judges impartially. Now, what's Peter doing in verse 17? Peter has to pause for just a moment and remind us that, yes, we are God's children, but we are not privileged in the sense that we have this special um, privileged identity in him that no one else shares. In other words, we, we don't have to be arrogant about the fact that we are his children. God will still judge impartially. So he reminds them in verse 17 that, yes, they are special. Yes, they are precious, but they are not privileged. And so he walks through this and he says, so conduct yourself with fear throughout this time of your exile while you're struggling with your identity in this moment where you're not home yet. You remember your history, you know your hope, but you're not there while you're walking through this time of uncertainty, he says, know that you were ransomed from those feudal ways, those empty ways of your forefathers. And, and I love this this phrase, "feudal ways. Uh, the, the inheritance that we can sometimes be conformed to is empty, it leads us nowhere. And so up above, Peter says, it, it, it's that of ignorance. Don't be conformed to it. The, those passions that ultimately... Our passions for things that will not fill you up and not sustain you. There's going to be a contrast in this text, not only of families, the forefathers of of ignorance and the forefathers of empty passions, but the, the contrast is going to be that of nourishment. So as Peter goes on, he's going to encourage us to find nourishment in God's word, that God in his holiness, God in his goodness, wants to nourish us rather than lead us to emptiness. He says, know that you were ransomed from these. You're redeemed from these. You were purchased from this original family. You were purchased out of that, not with silver or gold. But notice verse 19. With the precious blood of Christ. I love this phrase. But I also love what it means for you and for me. Something is worth what someone is willing to pay. And what Jesus declares in giving his very life for you and shedding his blood, this phrase, the precious blood of Christ, is that you were worth it, is that the way God sees you is as his treasured possession that would lead him, for God to love the world, that he gave his son, that would lead him to send Christ, that would lead Christ to come and die for you as the Passover lamb. This precious blood defines you as his children. It's part of your history. It's part of your identity. It's part of who you are as his family. You are his treasured possession. And I know this is true for me. I would give anything for my own kids because of my love for them. Peter goes on and describes Jesus as this perfect Passover sacrifice why the history of Passover there why the Passover lamb imagery because the Passover lamb is how God brought them out into the wilderness where they are in exile but he promises to lead them into the promised land Jesus is still part of that history and part of our identity as the Passover lamb and so Peter reminds us that this is why our faith is in him this is why our hope is in him in the few verses that lead to verse 21. Well, as we move forward, we recognize that, yes, we're not privileged in the sense that we're, we have special rights or special advantages or special immunities compared to any other human, but we are precious because God has sent his son for us, and we re- respond to that. We respond to that grace by obeying him. Jesus, by the way, said, if you love me, if you love me, you'll do what I command. You'll obey so Peter summarizes all of this with this word obedience and with the theme of holiness in verse 22, saying, have purified your souls by your, your obedience? You, you obey to the truth, but this leads to a brotherly love, a sincere brotherly love that comes from a pure heart. Why? Because you've been born again. Not from a seed that is perishable, like he compares it to Isaiah chapter 40, grass that is temporary but no the seed that you are born from is from a father that is eternal and from a father who when he speaks creation is created and when he speaks you are recreated you are reborn in his image that's what peter that is what peter's doing here is you're from this father and his word that comes along and recreates you in his image so he closes in chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 talking about this idea that as his children You should long for his nourishment. You you should be like a child, a baby, who longs for milk, the nourishment from a parent. You know that this is true. Uh, Milk takes on some of the characteristics from the parent and their diet of what they've eaten. In this particular metaphor, we taste and see that the Lord is good. The nourishment of God's word that comes to us should be something that we crave because it brings us life, it brings us health, but it also makes us more like him. I gotta admit, over these last several weeks, my kids have drank so much milk. I am thankful for our schools. And by the way, teachers, we, we miss you. Uh, but they have drank so much milk. And, and the reality is, is that, that I want them to know, okay, yeah, we're going to do whatever we can to give you the nourishment that you apparently are thirsty for. But there is nourishment, spiritual nourishment from God that is so much more important. And, and I want that to be something that is so deeply ingrained in my children that one of the things they'll remember about their father is that he knew that ultimately life came from God the Father, that that who we are and our identity comes from God the Father, that wisdom comes from God the Father, that how we should live should come from God the Father, that, that his word is the very life and the breath that we need to recreate in us. This is going to lead Peter ultimately at the end of our text next week. We'll see chapter 2, verse 12, where Peter's going to say, you know, I want you to live this way so that as you're in exile and you're living among those who are unbelievers, I want them to be able to look to you and, and, and see something in you. In fact, what he says is this. He says, may they, they see your good deeds and may they glorify your father. May they glorify God on the day of his visitation. Notice what Peter's saying. May you look like him in your holiness. And because you look like him, may other people look at you and not say, wow, look how holy you are, or not say, look how privileged you are, but may they look at you and then see God and recognize him through you. Isn't that the picture of a child? So maybe all those crazy ants on Facebook weren't so crazy after all. Maybe the picture of a child should be that that reflects that of their parent, that of their father. This week, I would encourage you to go back and look through these first few chapters, looking for these four identifying principles. Who is God? Do we look like him? What is our history? When it comes to our hope, what is our hope? And holiness, what does it look like to be set aside, to be set apart as something that is ordinary, but used by God for something that is quite extraordinary? Go out and be used by God, looking like him as his children. And next week, as we study together, we'll talk about the importance we are as living stones, being built up as a living tabernacle, as a living temple that can take his presence and his glory and shine it to the world around us as well. Have a great week. We'll see you then. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.